God, thank you for today. Thank you for this morning where we get to come and we get to worship, we get to sing. We get to give you all the praise and all the glory, and we get to dive into your word and see what you have to say to us today. God, this morning we're talking about something that's probably familiar here at Fresno First Church, but God, I just pray that, that this would just ring true and maybe ring new today. God, would you speak through me? Would you let the words that are coming out of my mouth be your words and not my words, God? We, no one came this morning to hear from Pastor Chris. We all come to hear from you, including me. God, I, I need a word from you today. So God, would you, just, would you just move in this place? Open our hearts, open our minds to hear what you would have us to say to you. God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are, believe it or not, in a week... 15 of our uh, More Than a Feeling series. Uh, I know, it's crazy. It's been, it's, uh, it didn't seem like that long, but as I was writing it out this morning, I was, oh yeah, it is, it's, it's week 15 right now. She's good, you're good. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it's week 15, and we have, uh, it's kind of week 7 of part 2, though. We've kind of so far broken it down into two parts. Part 1 was what we believe, why we believe it. That what we believe is not based on a feeling. It's not based on something that we uh, are just uh, on opinion. It is based on the truth that we find right here in this book. The Word of God given to us as the revelation of God to inform us of all things necessary to our salvation. Everything that we need to know about God is right here in this book. Everything we need to know about what we believe is right here in this book. We spent the first eight weeks talking about what this book tells us about what we believe. That was part one. Part two is, if that's true, if we believe what we believe, then what do we do? How, what are some practices that we should have? And that's kind of where we've been for the last six weeks. This will be week seven of part two here. Uh, we've kind of been all over the place. We've been uh, doing some different things, talking about different practices like prayer and discipleship and worship and accountability even last week. That was a fun week to talk about, accountability. Uh, and so yeah, we've, been, we've been having a lot of fun going through these. I, I do just want to say this. Next week we're going to close out part two of this series on talking about some practices, and we're actually going to start a a part three, uh, talking about uh, basically if we believe what we say we believe, and this is the life that we are now living, these practices are a part of our life, then who am I becoming? What are some characteristics, what are some virtues that should be present in my life if this is, if I'm living the way that I'm supposed to be living? So we're going we're gonna to jump into that in a few weeks. We've got this week and next week and part two still. Uh, but I just, I'm, I'm excited about that. But this week, we're kind of building on everything that we've, we've talked about so far in terms of practices. We've talked about discipleship and worship and evangelism and prayer and community and accountability. Uh, this week, I'm pretty sure you knew it was coming as a practice. Uh, we're talking about service. What does it look like to serve? Now, this is part of our DNA at Fresno First Church, right? Connect, grow, serve. This is part of who we are. This is, this is something that we talk about often. We talk about serving. We talk about service. We talk about what it means. Uh, but I want to just kind of go back into Scripture today and talk about why. Uh, why do we serve? Uh, what does Scripture teach us about service? Because there's a lot in here about service. There's a lot that Scripture teaches us about what it means 
to serve. Our ability to serve comes directly from our deeply held beliefs that we talked about in part one, and it kind of as a tangible expression of our life in Christ that we have been practicing. Service is, is huge for the Christian. It's, it's huge for us as we follow Christ. And so I just want to spend some time this morning kind of talking again about service. What does it mean to serve? What does it mean to, what does scripture teach us about how we serve, about how we've been created to serve, all this kind of stuff. What does, what does scripture teach us about service? Uh, the first thing that I think that scripture teaches us is pretty clear. You and I were made to serve. You and I were made to serve. It, it's pretty simple. Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to go there with me, in our, if you're in a pew Bible, it's on page 1006, uh, he, Ephesians, sorry, if he, I might have said Hebrews, but I'm talking about Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we're going to start at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 10 here, Ephesians chapter 2, here's what it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I think it's important for us this morning to read verses 1 through 10, uh, to get to verse 10, which is where we're going to talk about how we were made for worship. But I think can't talk about verse 10 without talking about the first nine verses as well, because the first nine verses are pretty much the gospel. Look, this is who you were. You were dead in your sins. You were dead in your transgressions. But God, out of his mercy, has made you alive in Jesus Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. And I, this, this word in here, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, when we talk about service, there's always this tendency to talk about uh, this thing called works-based righteousness, this, this notion that somehow we can earn our way into heaven, this notion that somehow if we're good enough, if we do enough good things, if we are, uh, if we are on it enough, if our lives are good enough, if we do enough right things in the eyes of God that we will go to heaven, that we will be saved. This is not, not it. This is your works have nothing to do with your righteousness. Your works have nothing to do with your salvation. When we talked about Jesus, the, one, of the, one of the phrases that I, that I really tried to hit home, that I hope you brought home, was this. There is nothing that you can do today in your past or in your future that will make God love you any more or any less than he does right now in this moment. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. Nothing you can do. It is not by works so that no one can boast. But then he keeps going. 
You are God's handiwork. Some translations say masterpiece. Some translations uh, say uh, workmanship. You are God's workmanship. The, the word here is, is poema, right? It's actually where we get our root word poem, but it's not exactly what, what he's talking about here. This was word it really just means something that was created. There's kind of a divine, uh, a divine kind of aspect to this creation. This word is used one other time in the New Testament. The other time is in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, if you want to go there with me, you don't have to. It's uh, <clears throat> just a little, little ways back there, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. This is this what has been made, so the people are without excuse. This what has been made is the same word that is poema. You are God's poema. You are God's handiwork. You have been made divinely by God. It brings me back to like the psalm. You, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You, you know me. You, you can search me, O oh God. You, you, you knew uh, all the days before me. There's all this knowledge of who you are. This knowledge is because that this same God is the God who created you. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 is trying to get to. This, this same God, you have been created, divinely created by God for good works. For good deeds, James would say. These works do not save you. These works do not have any special property other than to say that you were created on purpose and for a purpose. And these works that we do, these, these actions that we have in our lives, these things that we do, they don't come out of a sense of duty. They don't come out of a sense of obligation. They come out of a sense of love and relationship. I do these things. I live the way that I live. These practices that I have put in my life are there not because I feel like I need to, but because I feel like I want to. Because this God that I believe about, part one, this God that I believe in deserves it. This God that I believe in, this God that I know that breathed out the stars and created me and knit me together in my mother's womb, this same God who has created me and designed me for good works, for a good purpose, he's worth it. And so Ephesians chapter 2, he's saying you, you, are, you are his workmanship. You have been created by God in advance to do good works, which he's created in advance for you to do. These, this is... We were designed by God to be able to serve, to be able to be his hands and feet in the world. We're created for it. And honestly, our faith is really incomplete without it. All right, you even look at the book of James, James chapter 2. If you want to go there with me, on page 1044 in our pew Bibles, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, James is talking about faith requiring action. And here's what he says. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, 
but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. James is saying, look, like your, your faith is not complete without action. Paul is reminding us in Ephesians chapter 2, look, you've been created for this. God created you to do things. God created you not just to believe certain things, but he created you on purpose for a purpose, that you have a purpose to go out and to live a certain way. You have, you have to go out and you have to, to serve. There are good works that have been planned for you. There are good works that God has put in front of you. We, we are to do them. And James here says, look, faith, if, if you don't have these actions accompanying your faith, what good is it? Now, James is, James is speaking to a particular audience here. He's, t- he's talking to people here who, who really believe that all you need to do is believe the right things and you're good to go. Kind of the opposite problem as the people that Paul is talking to. Because the people that Paul is talking to in, in Rome believe that all you need to do is live a good life. If you're good enough, then you will be saved. So Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You've been created for these works, but it is by grace that you have been saved, not by these works. And here we have James on the other side talking to people with the opposite problem, saying, look, it's not just about what you believe. You've got to live this out as well. It's not just about believing the right things and having the right knowledge. It's about applying these things and putting them into action. This is what faith is about. I mean, really, for James, James has kind of these ideas about faith and about action. Right? Faith, for James, is just simply right belief. But action is kind of putting these right beliefs into action. Deeds, sorry, not action. Deeds, for James, is putting these right beliefs into action. I mean, he might as well have wrote it like this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have the right beliefs but does not put those into action? Can such beliefs save them? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, right beliefs, if they're not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone we say, you have the right beliefs, I have the right actions. Show me your, show me your beliefs without action, and I will show you my beliefs by my actions. You believe that there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. See, James is making it pretty clear here. Our faith requires action. Our faith requires us to go out and to, to live it out. It's not good enough for James or for Paul to just simply believe the right things. Now, again, we fall into this trap. Well, if you're saying I have to do things, and am I doing these things out of obligation? Am I now subscribing to a workspace righteousness? No, you're not. Know that your actions do not earn your salvation. But they are required. God does require us to live out what we say we believe. So, you have been created for this service. 
Not only have you been created for it, but the good news is that God doesn't just leave us empty-handed. God doesn't just drop us and say, hey, I've created you to do good things, go. No, he, God not only has created us for service, God has gifted us for service. God has given us the gifts and abilities that we need to go out and do the things that he has planned for us to do. God does not leave us empty-handed. He does not send us out uh, with kind of a man down kind of thing. He doesn't just send us out and say, hey, good luck. I hope you get this done. No, God has equipped you. God has gifted you with everything that you will need to do the things that he is asking you to do. Every single one of us has been gifted in different ways. Every single one of us has spiritual gifts. Every single one of us has talents. Every single one of us has been created by God to be able to do certain things. 1 Peter chapter 4, just actually a few pages after James here. 1 Peter chapter 4 says this, starting at verse 10. <clears throat> Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I want you just, just just hear this first sentence. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. He doesn't say, if you've received a gift, you should use it. Each of you should use whatever gift that you have received. Every single one of us in this place has been gifted by God to do something. What are you passionate about? What are you naturally gifted at? I think these are good starting places to figure out ways in which that God has gifted us, ways in which that God has, has given us talents and abilities to be able to do things. I mean, whether you realize it or not, you have been gifted. He, he did not make a mistake when he made you. He did not just leave out the gift. Like, he didn't just create you in your mother's womb and just be like, oh, man, I forgot to gift that person. No, it doesn't happen. God has gifted you. God has gifted you in a very specific way. What is it? Now, there are 60 different people here. I don't know. I don't know how God has gifted you. I don't know, how, I don't know the ways in which God has, has given you talents. I know some of you. That is it's your responsibility to kind of figure this out. How, how, what are the ways in which God has gifted me, and how can I use this to better, how can I use this to further the kingdom of God? How can I use the way in which God has gifted me to give glory to God? God made you on purpose for a purpose. He gave you the tools you would need to fulfill that purpose. I would just challenge you this week to just begin looking and asking, God, how have you gifted me? How have you, how have you, how have you gifted me, God? There are even some online tools that you can use, just spiritual gift assessment. I'll give you maybe a little head start. But each and every one of us is going to be different. Because God has made each and every one of us unique for a purpose. What is that for you? God has gifted you. Can you imagine what it would be like 
if every single person, not only in this church, but in churches around Fresno and around America, around the world, were able to, to use God's giftings and just went for it. Can you imagine the difference that would be made if every single Christian around the world took some time to understand the ways in which God has gifted them and just chased it. I think, I think the church would blow up. I think our faith would blow up. Because as people see the ways in which God has gifted us, it doesn't give us glory. Even in this passage, it gives God the glory. People will look to God. They'll begin to see God in our lives. They'll begin to see hey, they're not doing this just for themselves. They're doing this for, for some other reason. There's, there's something else here. It's God. God gets the glory. So you have been created for it, but he didn't leave you empty-handed. You've been gifted for it. And not only did he not leave you empty-handed, he gave you an example. We are shown how to serve through the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is a perfect example of what it looks like to serve the world, to serve our community, to serve those around us. One of my favorite examples of Jesus and serving is in John chapter 13. If you want to go there, we're going to be there for the rest of our time. John chapter 13, it's on page 926 if you're in Pew Bible. Just a little context while you flip. This is one of, not the last time that he's with his disciples, but one of the last times that he's with his disciples. One of the last times he's going to be able to, to talk with them, to encourage them. Remember, 11 out of the 12 guys with him are going to be the ones to kind of carry the torch. And so Jesus is, is meeting with these guys. And, and I just want you to just, just listen to what happens in this time. John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that it had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. The whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said, <clears throat> not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I just, two, two things I noticed right away in this passage. First of all is the context. All right, they all walk into this room. It's customary at this time for the people when they walk in, there would be a servant in the room who would, who would really just wash everybody's feet. It was a servant's job to wash people's feet. And again, this is just them, just the disciples and Jesus, just these 13 people in this room. And you can imagine as, as they all walk in, Someone else will do that. Someone else will do that. Someone else will do that. I don't need to do that. Second thing I notice is the timing. Out of everything that he could have been saying during this time, you hear me say probably almost every week, if you don't hear anything else from me today, hear this. I say that all the time. This is pretty much one of those moments for Jesus. Remember, this is one of his last times being with his disciples. This is one of the last times that he's going to be able to give them instruction, to give them encouragement. For 11 out of the 12 of these guys are going to be the ones who, who go forward and who, who carry the torch of Jesus. And instead of doing that, instead of saying, like, look, it, we've been together for so long. If you haven't heard, the, if you haven't heard, if you've heard me say anything, I want you to remember this one thing that I've said. He doesn't do that. Instead... He does these three things. He gets up, he humbles himself, and he stoops down, and he gets a little messy. I think if there's a better picture of service in Scripture, I'm not sure where it is. Because this is pretty much what service is all about. It's being able to to get up when no one thinks it should be you. There's a lot of people who say, eh, I, don't, I don't think I want to do that. I don't think I want to go over there and do that. I don't think I need to go and do that. We'll send someone else over there. But God has, if God has gifted you to do it, it's time for you to get up. Jesus, understanding, like, look, there's not a servant in this place. No one else is going to get up and wash feet. I'm going to be the servant. So he gets up from the table. I would just ask you this morning, is there an area in your life that God has been asking you to get up? To get up from the table, to to push the chair back and say, look, I'm going to do this. I don't know if anybody else is going to do this, but I feel like God is calling me to do this. I'm in. To get up. Here's the second thing Jesus did. He didn't just get up from the table. He, he went over, and he, he'd got the thing that was supposed to be for the servants. He got this bowl. He wraps a towel around his waist. He pours water into the bowl, and he begins to wash other people's feet. He begins to wash the disciples' feet. This is an important practice back in the day because feet were just gross. There was no pavement. It was all dirt roads. Their feet are disgusting by the time they get to dinner because they've been walking all day in sandals. And so they get there. And the very first thing that anybody would do is wash their feet. None of them do it. Jesus gets up from the table, and then, can, I just, can you imagine this picture? Jesus, the Messiah, 
with his 12 disciples, knowing one of them is about to betray him, gets up, wraps a towel around his waist, and then gets down on his knees, sits in front of his disciples. Can you imagine what Judas is thinking? As Jesus, the one he is about to betray, looks him in the eyes and kneels down and begins to wash his feet. See, Jesus is no stranger to humbling himself, right? We read in Philippians 2 that uh, Jesus humbled himself. He made himself vulnerable to even death on a cross. But Jesus humbled himself even before that. He humbled himself in this night, in this room. He says, look, I know that I am your teacher. You call me teacher, and rightly so, he says. I know that you're my, I know that I'm your teacher, but I need to show you something. You need to be willing to serve, to humble yourself and to serve. And he was messy. It got messy. I can imagine even just after the first foot washing, how that water looked. It's probably gross. Uh, Washing someone's feet sounds super disgusting to me. Like even just talking, I don't want to do that. I don't want to wash people's feet. But Jesus does this. Jesus kneels down, he gets the water out, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets to every, every single one of his disciples, even Peter. Peter's like, hold on a second, like, this just isn't right. Peter has the reaction that I think I would have had. Like, hold on a second, no, no, no. If anybody's going to wash feet, we should wash your feet. You're the teacher, you're the leader, what's going on here? You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. <laughs> I'm going to do this. He got messy. What are some ways in your life that God is maybe calling you to get up from the table, to humble yourself, and to maybe get a little messy? I promise you that God has has created you for this. I promise you that God has gifted you for what he's calling you to do. Here's the question. Will you say yes? Are you willing to get up, to humble yourself, to get messy? Here's the thing, though. When, if that answer is yes, then the result is that God is glorified. That makes everything worth it. So really, the ball is in our court. Are we willing? Are we willing to serve? Are we willing to be the people who say, you know what, I'm going to get up. This needs to be done. I'm going to humble myself. Go to this place that maybe I don't even want to be. I'm going to get a little messy because if I do, God gets the glory. And that makes it all worth it. The ball is in our court. Are we willing to serve? You've been created for it. You've been gifted for it. You've been shown how to do it. And you've been called out by God in Scripture. Go serve. Let's pray. God, we love you.
And we are just grateful to be able to be in this place where we have the freedom to be able to sing and to be able to worship, to be able to open up your word. But yeah, this is a challenging scripture today. Just talking about serving. It's uncomfortable a lot of times to go out and to serve, to get up and to humble ourselves and to, to get messy sometimes. It's, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. But God, you call us to do it. So God, I pray this week that you would give us opportunities to serve. Give us opportunities to, to humble ourselves, to get a little messy for you. And God, would we say yes? Would we not ignore your calling to serve? Would we not dismiss the calling to serve? Would we not just put it in someone else's hands and say, it's not my job, it's their job? Would it be, would each of us respond to this calling to service in our lives? God, I pray that you go ahead of us this week. Be in our conversations, be in our workplaces, be in our homes. That everything we do would glorify you. And that we would make a difference for you wherever we may find ourselves. God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're new here, we end every service in the same way. Uh, we uh, just you hold out your hands and just receive a blessing from the Lord. May our God, God of grace and mercy and peace, may he go with you this week. May he give you courage and boldness as you go out to serve and to make a difference in your community. May you go in the strength of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.